In the next episode of Fathers Who Bother, I speak with rapper and producer Odyssey about his pandemic project, Odd Cure, growing up in Sudan, how being a parent to his siblings prepared him for fatherhood, his father's parenting style, and more. Check it out. All right. What's up, ladies and gentlemen? Welcome to the Fathers Who Bother podcast. I'm your host, Jerry Barrow, and this is a podcast for men who are as dad as we want to be. My next guest is an MC, producer, singer, low-budget crew emeritus, <laughs> one-third of Diamond District, and proud brother, son of Prince George's County, Maryland, now residing in Brooklyn. Um, let's welcome Odyssey to the podcast. How you doing, brother? I'm doing fine, man. How about yourself? <laughs> I'm doing well, doing well. <laughs> Um, so thank you for um, coming on to the show. And, you know, I'm loving how the timing for this, this for this podcast and for talking to different folks has just been almost divine or ordained because um, you just dropped a new project called Odd Cure. And I'm listening to it. And the very first track is you talking to your father. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I gave my dad a call. <laughs> just like, this is great. This is exactly meant to be. So I'm going to jump right into it and, you know, talk to me about your relationship with your father and what made you want to start your project with a conversation with him. Sure. Um, I'm very close to my father, you know. My parents were divorced when uh, I was three, and I was raised by my father. Um, I saw my mom on Saturdays and Sundays, and I lived with my father Monday through Friday. And uh, he and I were, are, and uh, yeah, we, we're very close. He's um, he's my hero, man. He's He's who I aspire to be. Uh, he he laid out a template for me, a blueprint, and all I had to do was follow it. He he's made my life so much easier um, just by his existence and and bothering, I guess you know, caring, you know. And uh, yeah, I wanted to start the conversation off uh, on the album with him because for the first time in my memory, there was something going on in the world that my father felt that he. Uh, was more concerned about me than I was about him because my dad lives in Sudan. He moved back in uh, 2007. So yeah, normally um, it's my father constantly uh, calling. I'm calling my dad, seeing if everything, if he's okay. And and uh, it's very rarely that my dad's calling me. So prior to that conversation that was recorded, uh, was my dad calling me for the first time. So I just kind of wanted to continue that conversation by calling him back. That's dope. So growing up, that's not a typical situation when parents divorce. If the father gets the week and the mother gets the weekend, yeah, it's, right. it's not very typical at all. <laughs> how did how did that happen? Yeah, um, my mother. Uh, I mean, how do you how do you explain it in short? My father was uh, better off than my mom at the time of their divorce. Gotcha, and. Um, although my father was better off, he was a small business owner. Uh, 
he had more investments, more savings. Mm. The court, the courts actually decided that custody should go to my mother. Mm. And um, we walk outside of the courthouse and right out front of the courthouse, my mother says, this is the wrong uh, thing to do. You should raise him because if he's raised where I live or where I'll have to live since we're divorced, mm. he's going to have a harder life. Um, which was my, my mother would have, I would have been raised in Southeast Washington, DC had my mother took me and my father was living in Silver Spring, uh, Maryland at the time. So she said, yeah, uh, the court, I remember the court saying a child's supposed to be with his mother. And it kind of, it kind of just never minded the fact that, uh, my father had higher education. My mom dropped out of high school when she was 16. Uh, my mother's from Southeast. My dad was living in Silver Spring at the time. He was a small business owner. Court still gave me to my mom, you know? And I, I think, I mean, that's a whole other topic about uh, sexism and uh, <laughs> a, a judge in the 80s saying a child should be with his mother, even when that mother's under uh, in extreme poverty, you know, living in one of the worst neighborhoods in, to live in in the United States in the 80s. Wow. You know, so that's a whole other thing right there. Wow. But um, yeah, my mom gave, uh, gave custody to my father and that started me living with my dad and spending my summers in Sudan, June, July, August, was spent in Sudan from ages six years old to about 18. After 18, I started going back like every two years. What was it like um, growing up in Sudan? Because most, a lot of folks, they have a very limited view of that country and because they, it's basically shaped by TV, media, movies, and what have you, which I'm always assuming is a one-sided, <laughs> one-sided view you know what yeah was it was um it was molding it it, it molded me into who i am today a hundred percent having that ability to step outside of one culture and submerge myself in another it made me realize that the world was far bigger uh, than what I had thought. And I didn't have the privilege of thinking that the world was as small as my immediate surrounding. Mm. So uh, it taught me to adjust very, very quickly. It taught me that people's standards for things like happiness or wealth are different in different parts of the world. It taught me that values were different in uh, different parts of the world at a very, very young age. And those things stayed with me. I remember one year coming back and all my friends had uh, Jordans for back to school. And I just didn't care that. I just didn't care. I remember caring, wanting a pair of Jordans. And I remember going back to Sudan one summer, coming back and being like, I never care anymore about those things because it just didn't matter to me anymore after what I had experienced, what I saw, the level of poverty I saw, but also the level of happiness at the same time. It was far easier for people to be happy in Sudan, even though they had far less. And that, that really stuck with me throughout the rest of my life. Uh, how would you describe your father's parenting style? Oh, man. Um, classic African dad. Hmm. Um, you know, I don't know if you know a lot of the stereotypes, you know, all about the books. Uh, <laughs> well, I, I come from a from a Caribbean family, so this is okay. So you understand? Yes, we're we're adjacent there. <laughs> okay, I, I, you know what? And I'm glad that you said that, Jerry, because mm-hmm. 
I'm, I'm, I'm glad you said it because I want to catch myself. Classic immigrant dad. Okay. Yep. 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 You know? I'm, I'm hip. Yeah. You follow me? <laughs> yes. Classic immigrant dad, meaning I came from someplace to someplace else for a specific reason. Therefore, I must maximize that purpose. Right. And that is something that I don't care where you're from. If you leave your country of origin to go someplace else, you generally just have that mindset. Mm-hmm. And uh, my father very much had that mindset um, of, you know, school, et cetera. But my dad was pretty chill. He wasn't as hardcore as a lot of other immigrant dads that I saw. Um, in the 80s, it was just me and my father. And my father was a baker for the earlier part of my life. So he would wake up in the morning and be gone to the bakery. Uh, and I'd have to get myself ready for elementary school. Uh, I remember being in the third grade, I was a latchkey kid and take myself to school, eat my cereal in the morning, walk to school, crossing guard situation, finish school, go across streets to the little corner stores, get candy with my friends, hang out in Rock Creek Park, ride bikes, skip rocks. Uh, no pun intended. Those are all lyrics and uh, titles of songs <laughs> on Rock Creek Park. But um, uh, I spent a lot of time in that park as a child before we moved to Prince George's County. And uh, then he would, when I time, I came home from school. My dad would have been home, but he would have been knocked out sleep. So I was very much alone Monday through Friday uh, and very independent as a result. So, uh, yeah, he, he really was very hands off with me. Never got beatings. Very rarely got shouted at. Never got in trouble much. I wasn't a troublemaker. Uh, I was very, very free. And my father always allowed me to reason with him, which I think was something that was very different from a lot of my peers. I could come home and my father could say, uh, where are you going? You didn't go, why are you going outside? You didn't do your homework. And I could reason with my father and say, well, if I do my homework now, by the time I finish, the sun's going to set, then I can't play. So I want to go play now and then come back and do my homework. He says, yeah, but by the time you come back in, you'll be tired. You won't do as well on your homework. I said, I think I'll be fine. He's like, all right, well, if you don't get a good grade on your homework, you can't go outside, period. So you're going to, it's up to you. And it's in those moments that I'd be like, nah, never mind, I'm gonna stay in the house. So, <laughs> and he he pretty much raised me like that, period. You know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What does he what does he think of your music and your career? <laughs> I don't think my father's ever heard a song of mine. What? Really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't think he's ever heard a song of mine. Um I I I let me start this off by saying I love my relationship with my dad. And I very much <laughs> wish that I could have the relationship I have with my father with many of the people around me. Right. So my dad is Sudanese. He came here. He 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 deviled in. He like he he delved in some Western music here and there, but for the most part, he listened to Sudanese music. Mm. Um so the music that I make and the language in which I use isn't what my father would listen to if I wasn't his son. Right. There, therefore, why would he listen to it? And that's that's how we were always raised. I played, you know, basketball for Tacoma Park Boys and Girls Club. My father never came to a game. My father was like, I'm not playing. You don't want on the court. Like I could go, I could be making money. I could be asleep. I got I got I got things to do. You mm-hmm. know, and I never held it against him because it t- it just made sense to me. You know? Right. So uh my father and I are the only, this only relationship I have where we never make us do anything out of some type of feeling of uh, obligation. 
We do what we want for each other because we genuinely want it. He doesn't quote unquote support me because I'm his son or listen to my music because I made it because I wasn't his son. He would never listen to rap music in the first place, you know? Um, and I'm very much like that where people come to me and they're like, yo, we want to come support and come to your show. I'm like, I really don't need y'all to come. If y'all don't want to come, it's okay. No, no, no. We want to come and support. I'm like, no, no, you really don't understand. <laughs> it's work for me. And I don't <laughs> care if you're there because Lord knows if you get married or something, I pray to God, you don't ask me to come because I don't want to come. You know? <laughs> so, so <laughs> me and my father are, are two peas in the pot when it comes to that. So our relationship is, he asked me how's business. Mm. And if, and if you heard on the out al- on the album, mm-hmm. um, he's talking to me about my music from a business perspective. Cause he's a businessman. Mm. And, uh, you know, he's like, how is sales? Like, what can you do right now? How is the coronavirus affecting your work? Mm. You know, well, if you're home, that means you have more time to make more music, which eventually would be a good thing. So without ever listening to the music, he and I have tons of conversations about my music. I tell him about deals, contracts, how touring works, licensing, and uh, he generally understands the the mechanics of my business without ever listening to my music. And that I know he's genuinely interested in. And we have extensive conversations about that. But the actual songs themselves, they don't mean anything to him, nor should they. Interesting. So even even the songs where you've mentioned him or talked about you, that he, you've never said, hey, dad, check this out. I wrote this. I never, I, I never, never play him anything. Gotcha. I don't listen to my own music. Honestly, uh, once, once it's produced and finished, uh, the only time I listen to it again is when it's time to practice for uh, shows. And not being nostalgic is also another thing that was kind of I inherited from my father. Uh, when you just live a life where you're on the go and you pick up and leave, you very re- you, you start to not really value uh, possessions of the past. And uh, that was something that he always encouraged in me is like, don't ever live in the past. It'll cripple you. You know, be be light, like be emotionally light, mentally light. And if you can be physically light. Um, but, you know, he's he's talking from a perspective of fleeing civil wars. You know, my dad, my dad's always telling me, make sure you have ten thousand dollars cash in your house at all times in case you got to leave in, in the middle of the night. These are just wow. things that he just thinks, <laughs> you know. Wow. So uh, I'm not a very nostalgic person. I never had birthdays. My father never had birthday parties for me, anything like that. I never. Uh, I've never been celebrated. Put it to you that way. Mm. So, what was it like going to visit your mom on the weekends as a kid? Total opposite. Mm. You know, um, barbecues, picnics, cookouts, hanging out with my aunts and uncles and my cousins. My mother's the oldest of eleven, and uh, each of my aunts and uncles has two or more kids. And all of them live in the District of Columbia and the surrounding areas. And we all go to my grandmother's house on the weekends. My grandmother uh, had a house on Half Street in Southwest Washington, D.C. And that's the house that uh, was our childhood, like, headquarters growing up. And, uh, yes, uh, weekends were spent at, at Grandma's house. And uh, it was it was a good time. You know, my mother did her best with what she had. And uh, luckily all the museums in the District of Columbia are free. And my mother uh, had always had dreams of traveling the world and joining Peace Corps, but uh, life had different plans for her, so she was never able to 
um, pursue those things, but she always wanted those things to be instilled in me. So it, it pretty much, I spent, I spent my Saturdays in museums and my Sundays at my grandmother's house for Sunday dinner. And then she dropped me off at my father because all the museums were free. So she didn't, she hadn't had to spend any money. And the museums are in Southwest DC next to my grandmother's house. So I was in the botanical gardens, um, Hirshhorn, uh, uh, art Institute, African Institute, uh, African art center, all of them, air and space museum, just every weekend I was in a different museum on Saturdays and playgrounds after that. And then on Sunday, grandma's house for Sunday dinner. So when you went back home with your dad, did you ever long for the, the, the lighter moments on the weekends? Cause I, the stories I've heard from some people who had parents who, I mean, who, who were divorced, you know, dad got labeled the fun one, you know, because mom was the disciplinarian during the week. And then yeah. dad was, Hey, we're going to the amusement park. We're going to the beach and you know, it's yeah. summer vacation. So by default, dad became the fun, quote unquote fun one. Mm-hmm. With you it was reversed. So when you went mm-hmm. back home, what was young Amir thinking? Like, I want to go stay with mommy or was it? You know, <laughs> <laughs> um, It was weird, man. I, both my parents were awesome, man. I, uh, Mm-hmm. Neither neither one of them. I feared my mom more than my dad uh, growing up. Mm-hmm. Um, my mother would raise her voice more often than my father ever would. I had to do something terribly wrong for my father to raise his voice. Mm-hmm. But I I I uh, I had a like a general fear of my father that just I never did anything wrong around him. I pushed the limits a little bit more in front of my mom, and my mother would have to put me in my place a lot more. But uh, during the week, like I said. My dad was either at work or sleep most of the time. So I was raised by by hot dogs, eggs, ramen noodles, Nickelodeon, TV, and Nintendo. And I was very much by myself. <laughs> so, so, you know, I had weird lunches in school. I'd have dinner, whatever dinner was last night, my father would put in the lunchbox. I'd go to school and, you know, all the kids would have, uh, what's them things that I always wanted? Uh, lunchables. They'd have Lunchables and I'd have, I'd have falafel and lamb sausage and feta cheese and pita bread. Fast forward now, that's all the hip food. But when I was growing up, I got made fun of. Like, what is that? It's, it's falafel. (laughs) You could do a food truck with that now and make a killing. (laughs) Nah, man, I wanted pizza, man. I wanted Lunchables. But uh, I went to school with, with, yeah, with, with the bread my dad made at the bakery. Some type of, you know, whatever was dinner was, was in the lunchbox. Um, that, that sucked, you know, but, uh, nah, both my parents were very, you know, my mom, my mom definitely had, I guess, like a higher sense of guilt for not raising me. So she definitely spent more money on buying me things. Mm. And I noticed, I noticed that very early on and I, I tried to do my best to make her stop because I knew she didn't have the means to do so. Um, and my dad, I just saw how hard he worked. He would take me to work with him every once in a while. And I just wanted him to not have to work that hard. And I didn't want to have to be a burden on him at all. So I very much stayed in place because I saw how much he worked to keep a, you know, keep everything in order. That's fascinating because I've heard folks tell the story again in reverse where the father who isn't, doesn't get to spend as much time with the child tries to compensate by buying them things. <laughs> you know, yeah, because... yeah. It was totally, it was totally the um, the opposite for me uh, growing up. You know, I, but anything I wanted, like uh, I was like, I was a good kid. 
I asked my dad, can I have a Nintendo? He said, yes. Had no idea what it was. He went to my third grade teacher, Mrs. Mitchell, asked her what's a Nintendo. She explained it to him. We went to Toys R Us. He got, we got one. I had good grades. He got me a Nintendo. Nice. You know, and I never abused that relationship. I saw that if I did my part, my dad would take care of me. So I just did my part and I was a pretty chill kid, you know? So speaking of chill kids, or may not be chill, take us to the moment when you found out that you were going to be a father. Hey, let's see. Zayna was born on July 21st, 2017. So I found out in November that my wife, Aziza, was pregnant. Mm. Yeah, yeah. And uh, had a lot of touring booked already. Yeah, it was a crazy, crazy time to find out. But uh, uh, we did plan it, though. Uh, we, okay. we said we wanted to have a kid, and we, okay. um, you know, I, we tried, and we succeeded. You how, know, long so we, you, how, how long had you been married at this point? We've been married since 2015. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So I'm trying to do the math in my head real quick. So it was relatively soon after. Yeah, yeah. We got married in 2015 in March. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, April. April 11th, 2015, we were married. And... Uh, we wanted to have children and uh, we started in 2017 and Zana came by in July. That's awesome. That's yeah. awesome. So do you remember where you were when you did, did you get a call or text? Were you in the room with her when you found out? Mm. So she had done a detox for a year prior, mm. um, liver, everything. She just detoxed her whole body, started working out, got her body in shape, uh, eating super healthy. She eats healthy in general, but she was really healthy um, for about a year before we started to, to try to conceive. Right. And um, we conceived very, very quickly. And I was actually on a cruise performance called Summit at Sea. Hmm. And uh, it's like some tech cruise that, go, that leaves from uh, Miami, goes to the Caribbean with a bunch of techies from all over the States. And they talk and have seminars. And Kendrick was on the boat. Will I am uh, a lot of performers. Ride from from uh, I think they're from Denmark or Sweden. They were on the boat. Bunch of people. So yeah, a lot of celebrities on the boat. And I was uh, booked with my band to do a performance. And when we docked back in Miami from the cruise and performance, uh, my wife had uh, told me the news that her period didn't come. She was late. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, okay. And uh, then she took uh, the test and was like, yep, you're pregnant. And then we were freaking out about Zika virus because we were, we, oh. were in the we were in the Caribbean and we docked on some, uh, some island. So uh, came home, got some tests, everything was good. Baby was born in July. Wow. So did you find out what she was going to be first, gender-wise, or you waited to be surprised? We found out, yeah. We found out... Yeah. Um, in New York. My daughter was born in France, but we, the first sonograms were done. Uh, first two trimesters were in America, in New York. The last trimester, she went back to France to deliver. But yeah, we found out in the first. Is your wife from France originally? Yes, yes. My okay. wife is, she's Moroccan, but she's uh, born and raised in Paris. Nice. So your daughter, yeah. is she, so she's technically a, a, a Moroccan citizen? Uh, how, my how my so um, she has French citizenship and she has uh, American citizenship. Um, so uh, 
Sudanese um, lineage is, is uh, paternal. So, which is another interesting thing uh, in our culture, the men often take the, the children, um, right. even like if parents divorce, et cetera, because the children are seen as a part of the man. Uh, in our cultures, even when men and women marry, the children have the last name of the father, but the wives keep their last name. They don't take the last name of the husband. Mm. Um, so, so my daughter is entitled to Sudanese citizenship. Um, she can also get uh, Moroccan as well through her mom. Because Moroccans, I think, will give citizenship through mother or the father, whereas Sudan will only give citizenship through the dad. And even that, I think, might have changed recently. I'm not sure. Don't quote me. But um, in my time, just having a Sudanese father meant that you could have citizenship. But if your mom was Sudanese and your father was born, a father was from someplace else, you couldn't get it. So that will come in handy nowadays, considering <laughs> countries are closing borders to the United States because we don't know how to keep this virus. Yeah, under control. <laughs> yeah, they're, they're supposed to they're supposed to go in mid August uh, back to France. Normally, my wife um, goes back to France in the summer because I'm touring Europe all summer normally. Mm. So this is the this is the first summer that uh, she's been in New York since we've been married. So you're. You're a new dad. How does that impact you as an artist when she's first born? You said that you had touring lined up. So then what did you have to do? Did you have to then postpone, cancel outright? Like, what did that mean for you? Yeah. So we knew uh, Dr. Cezana was coming on July 20th. And I was touring Europe uh, all of June and most of July and later half of August. And then I had North America when I came back in uh, September, October, November. Mm. So um, <clears throat> I remember it was, I was having a conversation with my manager and he said, we need to cancel some of these shows around uh, Aziz's delivery date. And uh, he's like, we have to keep it a secret from, from my wife because she would have never let me cancel the shows. Mm. Um, and, and she's she's a very strong woman. And, um, you know, we're married because we share a lot of the same uh, rationale. And it's like, <laughs> well, my, she, she eventually found out that I canceled some shows in order to go to France and be there for the, for the uh, delivery. Mm. Um, and when she found out, she's like, what good is it, you know, that you being in this room with me? Yeah, you hold my hand and you're in here, but who feeds the child, you know? And that's how I think. And that's how my dad thinks. And again, we're not very sentimental people. It's like, yeah, I'm going to come in here and hold your hand, but two, three shows, we looking at, you know, year worth of income mm. gone because we want to be sentimental and she wasn't working. So what are we, what are we doing here? You know? <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> but I just, I decided um, that I wanted to, and luckily I only had to, I didn't have to cancel any shows, but I had to decline one show. Okay. And I declined one show and that show definitely would have made me miss the delivery. Um, mm. And uh, I came to France for two weeks. Uh, actually, no, it was almost three and a half, three and a half. I was in France because I came like a week before and I stayed a little, I stayed up to like two and a half weeks after. And then I joined the rest of my band back on the road and we finished Europe. And uh, right when we finished Europe, I went back to France for a little bit more to see my wife and child. They were staying at my uh, in-laws house, my wife's mother's house. 
Mm-hmm. And then I left back to America and I went on tour in the, in the States. And my wife didn't come home to America until around Thanksgiving. She stayed in France until around Thanksgiving. And she came home and I, I finished tour about a week after them and uh, came home and spent the winter with them home in, in New York for the first time. So while you were touring, so was it like FaceTiming with the baby all every any time? Oh yeah, oh yeah, oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, again, my, my wife's like, "What are you doing? Like, what's the big thing? She's sleep. All she does is sleep and eat right now. You are you you can't feed her. You can't do anything. <laughs> you don't need to be here. You know, <laughs> so you know, and that that's just how we are. You know, so um, I I I married the the the, the perfect woman for my line of work. I put it to you that way. You know, because nice. a lot of a lot of the other guys in my band, um, they had to take like a month off, like around the due dates of all. Everyone in my band has children except for my DJ, and right. every one of them, every one of their wives was like, "I don't care, you're taking right. off, you're, you're coming home." Yeah, yep. I, was just, <laughs> I was just talking to Mickey Fax a few episodes ago, and he said he and his wife had planned for him to take time off anyway mm-hmm. um, when their son was born. And it just so happened that with all the COVID stuff that the touring wasn't going to happen anyway. So it just worked mm-hmm. out. But that was, they were definitely of the, okay, you're going to be home. <laughs> what was it like when you finally did get, you said you spent the winter with her. Yeah. Um, what, how, did you have much experience with babies up until then? Or was this like, oh. Yeah. My <laughs> uh, so my father remarried uh, when I was eight or nine years old. Mm-hmm. And, um, my siblings, uh, they're nine years younger than me and more. Mm. Um, so my, my next sibling, Majid, is nine years younger than me. And then it goes 10 years. So with Sarah, Summer is like 12 years younger than me. And my brother Khalid is like 13 years, 14 years younger than me. Mm. And uh, in our culture, the oldest kids raise the children more so than the dad would. So... Uh, I had to, you know, be with my siblings constantly. Uh, who I taught them to ride a bike, swim, eat with utensils, uh, read. You know, if they got into trouble in school, uh, I got in trouble. If they did bad on homework, they failed tests, I got in trouble because I did all the studying with them. You know, so they, they're very much my children. And, and, and even so now, today, you know, they, they consult me before I consult my dad. And if it's something I absolutely out of my, my means, then I call my father, but they don't call him about those things interesting so you're like the yeah. brad the brother dad <laughs> <laughs> i never heard that term until today i just made it up <laughs> <laughs> it sounded better than dother <laughs> yeah yeah i guess i was i guess i was a brad man yeah yeah <laughs> So by the time you 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 have your own, you're you're an old old hat at this. You're changing diapers with the eyes closed and all that good stuff, huh? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And bless my wife. Uh, my wife's mom had, was a nanny. She ran a daycare in her in her house mm. um, for kids uh, four years old and under. Okay. And uh, so my my wife was raised with her house always being full of children that her mother was watching that was running the daycare out of their house. Mm. So, uh, bless my mother-in-law, man. She had my daughter sleep trained 
within a few weeks. My daughter has never slept in our bed. She's never co-slept a day that she's been on this earth. Oh my goodness. No, never had. She sleeps all night too. What? Yeah. That's not even fair. (laughs) (laughs) That's not even fair. Me and my wife, our son, we had the the cold because I was working at the source. It was my first year at the source. Mm Mm-hmm. And you know, we would, I was keeping crazy hours, especially with closings and stuff. So I would come home, and my shift was basically the night shift. I would feed and change him before he woke up, mm-hmm. so that while she slept, so that by the time he woke up around four or five in the morning, she could take over. So I had this whole thing down where I could kind of see him starting to stir, and I'm like, okay, let me let me feed him, <laughs> and I would. Right. lift him up and change him before he woke up and he would be asleep i would change him and feed him before he actually woke up oh, that when I, that's when i knew that i was i was i was good at it <laughs> yeah yeah no we uh we got yeah she's uh aziz's mom is I, I guess she's had a lot of experience you know with uh she's a mother of four oh, let me see muhammad aziz and jamila kareem yeah mother of four and then she always had uh, France in, in the area in France that they were, they, they have a basically like a center where parents go to and they designate you a nanny in your area and it's paid for by the city. So it's free. And wow. uh, those, those nannies are only allowed to have four children. So there was always Aziz and her three siblings and four other kids. Okay. Yeah. Wow. So what would you say has been the biggest challenge for you? with this easygoing child <laughs> oh she's not easy to go in now like when, she, when, she, when she's up when she's up there's nothing easy going about my child yeah. you know when you we, before we started recording we were talking about podcasts and you said you listen to them when you work out when you're cooking there'd be no way i would be able to be in the same space as my daughter my daughter would let me do anything other than talk to her and engage her period <laughs> she's not letting anything else happen you know yeah she's very um she's a lot when she's when she's up you know what's she into what's what's uh, she's into destruction (laughs) Uh, we just went to we went to the beach today and uh she saw that uh somebody had made a sandcastle Mm -hmm. and had abandoned it they made it and left Mm -hmm. so she's like oh look Papa, Papa, regarde le château, regarde le château. I'm like, oh, okay, let's go see the château. All right. Go over there to it, crushed it, just walked all over the top of it, died laughing the whole time, you know? <laughs> and she's uh, been that way since she came out. Like, I just like to break things. Yeah. <laughs> how, how has it been with, with her, with the shelter in place stuff? I know folks with younger kids have been having a, a go of it, trying to keep them occupied and contained. Yeah, it's been, um, I don't know, I think every parent is going through their phases on how strict or relaxed they are with the situation at hand. Uh, we started off very much following all the rules and the guidelines. And I, I had done my last show in Thailand and came home on March 6th of 2020. Mm-hmm. And uh, my wife quarantined me, said, when you come back, go sleep in your studio for two weeks before you can come home. Mm-hmm. And uh and during that time, I'm in the studio, you know, calling them on FaceTime. Where you at? Oh, I'm on the subway. Where you at? Oh, I'm on the playground. Where you at? Oh, I'm at the store. I'm like, you're doing very COVID-y things right now. And you're, <laughs> you're, <For real. laughs> yeah, yeah. 
you're quarantining me. Right. Right. And uh, then she, the icing on the cake, she had some friends from France, from Marseille, mm. come to visit New York and stayed with us. And they were going out sightseeing. What? Yeah. Yeah. What? And, and oh, I'm like, man. I said, I said, you know what? This is ridiculous. So by the time I came home, uh, my wife started to exude symptoms and she had come down with COVID-19. Oh, no. And uh, she was bedridden for three days with a temperature of 104 degrees. And uh, after that, she had lost her sense of taste and smell for about six weeks. What? Oh, yeah. I heard that yeah. was a symptom, but I didn't know if it lasted that long. Six weeks. Bro, that, that's how we knew she had it. Because she was just like, oh, this couldn't have been COVID because I don't have any chest problems. Mm-hmm. I was like, yeah, but what fluid do you know that you've had that's made you lose your sense of taste and smell? And that's when we found out that it was mm-hmm. COVID-19. Uh, mind you, my daughter and I, absolutely nothing the whole time. So she made time. you I, quarantine, but she came yeah, out with she, it. Wow. She got it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She got it. But I made a great album in this process. So, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> yes, he did. You know? Yes, he so, did. Oh, my yeah. goodness. So she so, came down with it. And um, yeah. after that, we came out of it. And uh, we everything, you know, we, we've been getting our groceries from Amazon and Whole Foods the entire time. Uh, we only recently have started, like, going to the beach or, we uh, linked up with uh, friends of ours who have children around the same age and we go to their house and they come to ours and they play in our backyard and uh, we hang out together. And it's been pretty much that. So it's uh, a lot of educational stuff, a lot of playing in the back uh, in the backyard and a lot of playing with uh, her friends and uh, uh, other parents who we kind of rotate our each other's houses. It's been, it's been pretty chill, you know, um, having other children to, to quarantine with and just to say let's restrict our families to this circle that's been a huge help because before that nothing we could do could tire her out mm. yeah what, 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 were, what, were you, what were you going through the all the movies all the all the games all the what were you everything you, you you said it everything <laughs> everything all the movies all the games two three times you know uh the amount of stuff that we bought off of Amazon. I mean, she's got easel. She's got a paint set. She's got a uh, uh, washable eraser board. She's got blocks. She's got everything. Like, it's, it's something from Amazon coming in this house every day, mm-hmm. you know? And uh, it only keeps her attention when there's another little one to play with her. Right. So, you know, we are now trying to have number two. <laughs> good job three years is a good, is a good yeah again all, part of the plan that way you won't have both of them in your arms at the same time <laughs> you know That's what's up. yeah does she know daddy makes music uh she does she does she's very aware because after my wife came down i didn't go back to my studio for two weeks because my engineer actually is stuck living in my studio right now. He's from Hong Kong mm. and uh, he's um, he's staying here on a visa and was going to look for a place to live. And then all of this started happening. So I told him, listen, mm. um, you know, it's got a bed, it's got a kitchen, it's got a bathroom. I got a lot of work I need done anyway. It's no point in you moving right now. Just mm. stay. So it was a way to, pr- to protect him. I stayed home for two weeks and brought my gear back to the house. Mm. And um, I mean, even before that, Zayn has been to my studio a million times. Yeah. 
and she's been on stage with me a few times at sound checks. So she's very familiar with the fact that uh, I make music. Yeah. What's what? How would you describe your parenting style, especially in contrast to your father's? Uh, I try to mimic my dad in many things, but one the one important thing uh, that I'm giving my daughter that I didn't get was uh, displays of affection. Mm. You know, that's not a very immigrant dad thing, I don't think. And, uh, <laughs> you know, my dad's a Marlboro smoking, you know, stern faced guy. Lovely guy, don't get me wrong, but uh, um, I'm, I'm interested to see uh, if I'm like upholding some type of patriarchy and I won't really know until I have a son. I won't know if I'll be this, uh, the, the displays of emotion I'll have if I have it with my son. Maybe I won't, but I'm constantly kissing my daughter on the forehead and hugging her and telling her I love her. I'd like to think I'd do the same thing with my son. I don't know. We'll, we'll, we'll find out, you know? Well, you'll find out um, kids are different people. You can you can try with both, but they're going to exude. My, my son's the oldest. He's mm -hmm. first, and I was very affectionate with him. But as a teenager, he's just, like, not interested. <laughs> the, 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 the hugs. He won't rebuke it, but he doesn't seek it out. My daughter, yeah. on the other hand, yeah. she'll do the drive-by kisses just because, hey, daddy, you look like you need a hug. She's a hugger. That's yeah. just her personality. So gotcha, I don't know if, I gotcha. groomed, if we groomed it in her because, you know, we, we my wife and I made a conscious decision not to treat, you know, not to try to impose different, like you said, patriarchal things on, on our son. Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. same with our daughter. We, we said we they were going to have the same rules, you know? Yeah, yeah. Them the same. But my daughter is just way more affectionate. It's just the way yeah. she is. So yeah, he's got to see how they come out <laughs> yeah i i also want to um encourage her interest more and invest in her interest more uh my father didn't have the luxury of being able to comprehend he didn't have the privilege to comprehend what it is i do for a living and what i was into growing up i was into illustration and painting as a kid and my dad always wished i you know i was a doctor lawyer scientist typical stuff like that Right. So uh, there's a strong level of disapproval uh, of my interest, and in, in he wished that I was into other things. Um, but in the generation that he was born into and where he came from, had he encouraged me to, if we, we had never left Sudan, he encouraged me to be a graphic designer, I'd be unemployed, you know? Mm. So those aren't, he encouraged me to do jobs where in his lifetime were guaranteed employment jobs. Right. You know, but I'm I'm raised in a different country in a different era. So in knowing that. Uh, I'm going to be very invested in whatever piques her interest uh, and understand that um, very much like it says in the book, the prophet, uh, our children are not uh, born of us, but through us. And they'll inherit a world of uh, tomorrow in which we will never be able to enter. So. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to be a tiger dad and I'm doing my best to, you know, make sure my wife agrees, you know, where I'm not encouraging my kids to learn Mandarin because in my lifetime, China is a superpower because we don't know what the language of, of power is going to be in their led lifetime, right. you know, and all intents and purposes, it very well may be French, French because Africa's got the largest growing population projected by 2050. Uh, and most of the population booms are in Francophone Africa. So French may be the powerhouse country 
French, uh, French may be the powerhouse language of the future. And with that being said, I'm not going to force my kids to prepare for tomorrow based on what I'm experiencing today. And that's something that I think my dad did and a lot of parents do. And I, I don't necessarily agree with it. Very wise man. Very wise man. I was um, listening to the new project and um, the first singles, No Skips. And there was a line where you mentioned your daughter and I want to know if you could give me some context for it. It seems, <laughs> it seems like you're already very cognizant of her opinion of you. Yeah, <laughs> of, you of know what? <laughs> <laughs> Listen, this is this is a bad part of being from Prince George's County, being from mm -hmm. the DMV. Mm -hmm. um, I can't have no Bama kid as a child, you know? This is it. <laughs> You know, I can't, I can't. Have a bam kid. <laughs> nah, man. My, I, look, look, I, I'll be on the playground and I see, you know, how other parents has got their kids dressed in, it looks like a unicorn rainbow vomited on their children is how <laughs> most, most parents dress their daughter. And I will have no parts of that. <laughs> I don't have no parts of the rainbow vomit, you know? No, 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 no. Listen, this is how bad it is. I go to the studio every morning. I still get dressed like I, like I'm going to work, even though I'm just walking to the studio. I don't just go outside in sweatpants. It's how not how I was raised. Right. And uh, just to make sure that my kid's not a Bama, I pull two pairs of sneakers out every morning, and I look at my daughter and I say, "Zayna, which one should Papa wear?" Mind you, there's one that I have in mind based on what what goes better with what I'm wearing. I want to make sure that she agrees. Jerry, I promise you every time my daughter picks the right pair of sneakers, and I'm so proud. <laughs> I'm so proud. That's dope, man. The kids know. The kids know. I remember early days addressing my daughter. I would try to, you know, fake it and put it be pink, and then something would be kind of pink and be purplish. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And she's yeah. like, Daddy, those don't go together. I'm like, I can't, I can't get one over on you because no. I'm trying to find something that somewhat coordinates and she's like yeah oh, that's two different shades of pink daddy you gotta try yeah you it. can't you can't do it daddy you can't do it <laughs> no bama's allowed you know my son don't care though he really doesn't care his, his <laughs> 17 year old he would wear the same he would he's been in his pajamas he'll he'll we'll tell him go wash your ass He'll take off his pajamas <laughs> and he'll put back on the pajamas. Like, dude, he's like, and his his comeback is, "Where am I going, Dad? Where am I going?" And I'm like, "Okay, fine. During COVID, I can't tell you nothing. At least yeah. be clean." But he does not. He's not a fashion plate at all. If he would wear the same thing every day, if you let him. But my daughter, she gotta have the the, the unicorn with the glitter on the right. It's gotta match. It's gotta pants. match with the things. Right, yeah. right, right. Yeah. So. Yeah, yeah, my the, yeah. So is that that was that that line was about? I can't imagine my daughter a little older reminiscent trying to pick of me around y'all. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's just I um, judging on her personality, mine and her mother's. You know, I, I she she strikes me as the type of toddler that's going to grow into a person that will look back on my social media feed and say, "Dad, you knew him." <laughs> <laughs> Like, I see it. I feel it. I feel it, you know? So I, I want to make sure that um, when she scrolls back and looks at uh, what I've done uh, and and who I've done it with, what I've accomplished, that she approves. I want to make sure I have a high approval rate, you know? What, what do you think 
how does it feel to raise a kid in the age of social media? Because it's different. Like my kids have kind of been on a cusp. My son's seventeen. My daughter's eleven. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. they've grown up with Facebook and all that stuff. But yours is younger, and she's literally yeah. going to grow up with all this stuff. What is that? What is that like? You know, yeah, you know, honestly, I don't know. Well, I have a lot of friends who you know they've created Instagram accounts for their children now. Mm-hmm. Uh, the excuse usually is, well, I'm securing their name. That way, when they finally want it, mm-hmm. you know, uh, it'll be ready for them. You know, I'm like, okay, I, I get that. You know, um, I haven't done such for Zena yet. Um, I post photos of her. I'm a proud dad, you know, and I very much see my social media for two functions. Um, it's like a photo album to share, and it's a place where I sell things. You know, and I I hope that she observes the way I use social media and the way her mother uses social media is kind of an example. Uh, My wife uses social media just like anyone else. She follows accounts of things that she's a fan of, uh, things that she's interested in, and, you know, friends, close ones, family, et cetera. They correspond and comment with each other on different things. They share information, uh, events, occurrences. And it relatively stops there. As for myself, uh, I use it for more of a documentarian purpose. If I go on tour, I'm taking photos of where I've been, what I've done. That works as, uh, you know, for two purposes. I'm documenting everything for myself as an artist, but it also uh, functions to advertise what it is that I'm doing in order to get more business. And I think I want, you know, I want my daughter to be very aware of the purposes of social media and the pros and cons of it. I want her to know you want to keep up with your friends and fa- your family. This is what you can use it for. If you want to display your personality and follow things that you're interested in and keep up with things, this is a great thing to use it for. If you want approval from others or you constantly want attention, this is a very, very dangerous tool. And I will do my best to instill in her not to use social media for those things, for, for self-worth and, and, and evaluation. Right. That's a smart way to do it. Have you found your art changing since becoming a father? Uh, no, not yet. And that's a very big thing a lot of people ask me. I, I very much keep... And I hate to even say it this way, but it sums it up best. I very much keep Odyssey and Amir very separate. Mm. Uh, And that's because uh, I'm not a very emotional artist. I really do see my creative process as a form of work. And I like, I go to work normally nine to five or 10 to six, Monday through Friday is when I go to the studio. Mm -hmm. And uh, when I come home, I'm home. I don't talk about it. You know, I don't, I don't, I have nothing to do with it. Uh, so my creative process is a mixture of what I'm observing as far as what I write about mm-hmm. and what the world is experiencing. Mm-hmm. And that's how I, I generally approach my writing style. And then I'll add elements of my own personal experiences into my music. But it's usually my opinions on global occurrences because I find that my music resonates more when I'm talking about subject matters that everyone can relate to. Uh, mm-hmm. And you always have to have some element of a personal touch. So I'll, I'll have some things about 
my parents or close friends or my daughters, but it won't necessarily be the anchor, the anchor of my music. Uh, and that's conscious. So not, not much has changed um, other than the hours in which I work. I've always worked during the day, but prior to uh, my, my daughter being born, before my daughter was born, I would push it often and stay in, you know, 10 to 8, 10 to 9, 10 to 10, then come home. Mm. You know, I don't do that anymore. Okay. You know, that, that very much has changed. Uh, business stuff has changed. How I want to plan tours. Um, I'm very much, I'm a lot more strict on not doing work on answering the phone for music on weekends. Those things have changed. But subject matter wise, I'm not there yet where I'm speaking from the perspective of a father because I don't necessarily know if the world needs me as a dad right now, more if they, uh, I don't know, not necessarily needs me, but I don't know if the world is interested in my thoughts on parenthood right now or versus my thoughts on social economical occurrences in the world right now. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And and that that's where my, my uh, interests lie and what I want to write about right now. That could very well change when I get uh, older, but I see that as limiting a demographic if I start writing more so about being a father. So I don't know if I want to do that too much. Especially when you're getting so much inspiration and content. Uh, you could have <laughs> Jesus is a mortal man, parts two, three, oh, four man. right now. There's, there's, <laughs> there's a lot more going on other than the fact that my daughter continues to <laughs> pee in her pants, even though she knows she's supposed to do it in the toilet. Oh, you know? <laughs> you're potty training. No, she's potty trained, but when okay. she gets super excited or her okay. attention is focused super hard on something, okay. she'll she'll let a little drop go, and then okay. she'll say, "I need to pee," and then you <laughs> go to let her pee, and then you realize that she already let a little bit out, and it's always just a little bit, but it only happens when she's super excited or focused on something, okay. you know. And like, there's a lot more going on than me making raps about that right now, <laughs> you know. <laughs> so. Don't nobody want to hear about that. <laughs> I hear you. I hear you. Well, we're we're looking forward. We appreciate that. You know, you're you're giving us all the raps even during lockdown. You've given us an entire project during lockdown. Um, the odd cure. And if you're listening to this podcast, I urge you to go out and give it a stream, give it a play, give it a purchase, because it'll be worth your time and money. I promise you. And uh, with that, I want to thank Odyssey for coming to the Fathers Who Bother podcast and sharing his experience with raising his three-year-old during a pandemic <laughs> and maybe having more. Yay! Yeah, inshallah, inshallah, inshallah. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much, Odyssey. This has been great. Thank you, Jay. Much appreciated, man. All right. All right, bro. Take it easy.